invite you to turn to Judges chapter 14 this evening. As you're turning there, I want to uh, just let you know about something else about many of those songs that we're learning in that Hymns of Praise booklet. If you look down at the bottom under the copyright information, there is a website that you can go to called churchworksmedia.com. A lot of the songs that we sing and are learning, you can get the MP3 from the Internet if you're techy enough to be able to figure that out. You can get the songs from the Internet for free. So something just to be filling your minds with throughout uh, the week, including all those psalms and uh, a lot of the other songs we sing like My Jesus Fair and so on. All right, Judges chapter 14 this evening. As far as advantage goes, Samson had it all. He was born to a godly set of parents. These parents wanted to see him do what God desires. This will become clear even today when he starts to pursue a Philistine woman. Samson was set apart for God's purposes even prior to his conception. God said, make him follow the Nazarite vow. Make him a Nazarite from the time of his birth. In fact, his mother, from, even from the time of his conception, he had to follow these things. That is, no wine or strong drink and no touching of any unclean thing. She could not do that while she was pregnant with him. So he was set apart from the time of his conception, even before that, and at an early age, we learned last week that he was blessed, or two weeks ago, he was blessed by God and he, he had the Spirit of the Lord upon him. We saw that at the end of chapter 13. And yet, Samson is a man who, for much of his life, is mostly concerned with himself. What can God do with someone that is mostly concerned with himself? Can God use a person who is so fundamentally flawed? And the answer to that is going to become clear as we start to see the story of Samson unfold before us. And it really starts tonight uh, as we begin in chapter 14. Okay, We kind of had some preliminary things last time in chapter 13, but now we really start to see who Samson is and what he's all about. So let's read uh, together. I'll read and you follow along. Judges chapter 14. This is the Word of God. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young goat though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, that is, as his wife, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate it. 
but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. And when they saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me thirty linen linen wraps and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Propound your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me and you do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother. So should I tell you? However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of them, and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend. Despite the evil that is all around, God is working behind the scenes to accomplish His purposes. Despite the evil that's all around, God is working behind the scenes to accomplish His purposes. That is what this chapter is about. First, we see Samson's desire to marry a Philistine woman, verses 1-4. through This Philistine woman is from Timnah. Timnah is in the southwest portion of Israel, several miles west of the Dead Sea. And it's near many of these Philistine cities. There are five of them. She was a Philistine woman, according to the text. She was, at the end of verse 1, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, Samson was a Jew. He was not supposed to marry a foreign wife for a few reasons. One, Israel was prohibited from doing so. According to Exodus chapter 34 and Deuteronomy chapter 7, Israel was not supposed to marry someone from a foreign nation. And the reason for that was because that they would start to follow those false gods and that they would start to, to worship the gods that those, those, their wives worshipped and so on. Samson was prohibited from marrying a foreign woman. Secondly, Samson was set apart to God as a Nazarite. He, of all people, should have been quick to obey the demands that God had put on him as a person who is set apart for God's purpose to, remember, to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That's why, Phil, uh, that's why Samson was, was made. That's why he, he was raised to be. Now, when we, we read about this Philistine woman who, who becomes 
Samson's wife. Don't mistake her for Delilah. Delilah is going to be introduced to us in chapter 16. This woman actually, this wife, is going to be killed in chapter 15. Okay, Delilah is going to come around in chapter 16. So this is a different Philistine woman. Notice Samson's desire for this woman in verse 2. So he came back and told us after he met her, told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Samson is a man who knows what he wants. And he makes a claim on what he wants. And so he goes through the normal procedure in the ancient Near East, which was to get his parents to to basically agree to this marriage, to get him to to a place where he could pay the dowry for this woman and, and be able to be married to her. There's no talk here from Samson about what his parents desired. In fact, when they told him what God desired, he rejected it. There's no talk of what God desires. Samson comes across as a man who is very impulsive and almost barbaric. Go get her for me. Reminds me of Esau when... He comes in from the field and he smells the stew and he says, literally can be translated, give me some of that red stuff. That's what he says to Jacob. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright and I'll give you some. And he's so hungry that he's willing to do this. It's just so so um, defiant against God, impulsive, barbaric. This is Samson. Get her for me. And notice his parents' quick response. Remember I said he came from a great upbringing. His parents wanted to see him do what God desired. Notice their response in verse 3. His father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives and among all our people that you would go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? His parents say, Samson, what are you thinking? Jews don't do that. There are plenty of, of Jews out there that you could marry. Why do you have to go to an uncircumcised Philistine? That is, to, to those people who are defiant against God. Manoah's wife, that is Samson's mother, had been told, look back to chapter 13, verse 5, she had been told that Samson was going to be the man that would deliver Israel from the Philistines or begin to do so. Look at verse 5, chapter 13. For behold, the angel of the Lord says to Manoah's wife, Samson's mother, for behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. What must she be thinking now, Several, uh, maybe a couple decades later, what must she, she be thinking when she says, I remember God promised to me Samson was going to be the one that would deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines, and now he's going to marry one of them? Are you kidding me? Samson, this is not to be happening. This should not be so. Notice Samson's reply at the end of verse verse 3. Chapter 14, verse 3. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. And this this phrase here at the end of verse 3, she looks good to me, is an unfortunate translation. I think the NASB was trying to, the New American Standard, trying to give us the idea of what the Hebrew phrase means. And that's uh, good to do in many cases. But in this case, it would be better to be more literal. Than, than they were. The literal phrase is captured for us in the English Standard Version, and it reads this, Go get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. That's, that's a lot closer to what the Hebrew is. And the reason it's helpful in this case to be more literal 
she is right in my eyes is because that that really should click in us if we've read the rest of Judges that no one followed the Lord, right? Every man did what was right in his own what? In his own eyes. What's Samson doing here? Supposedly the leader of Israel, he says, get her for me because she is right in my eyes. He's not concerned about God. He's not concerned about what God wants. He's concerned about what He wanted and His own desires. He wanted the woman and that was final. This desire by Samson was devastating for his parents to hear because it happened at a time when Israel was actually being oppressed by the Philistines. Look at the end of verse 4. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Samson, the Philistines are the enemies and you've now found a wife among them. That doesn't make sense. But Samson didn't care. Samson wasn't concerned about that. This oppression by the Philistines is going to be strong. It's going to be so strong that when the Philistines put pressure on 3,000 of Judah's troops in chapter 15, that Judah's troops buckle under the pressure. They can't stand against the Philistines. And so they give up. This is the time when Samson is in a cave. He's hiding out. And they take Samson captive and hand him over to the Philistines. That's how devastating this oppression is against the Philistines. They're willing to give up their greatest warrior, their greatest leader, because they're so fearful of these Philistines. And yet, Samson here in chapter 14 is willing to marry one of their people. Samson's desire is to marry this Philistine. Secondly, we see that Samson's first, Samson first, violate, first violation of the Nazarite vow. Samson's first violation of the Nazarite vow, verses 5 to 9. On the way to pay the bride price, the dowry for this Philistine woman, Samson wanders off from his parents. Notice verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah, that's where this Philistine woman was from, with his father and mother, and he came as far, or they came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. So apparently somehow he wanders off into the vineyards of Timnah. Now, the text doesn't clearly say that what Samson did in the vineyards. But could it be here that very early in the adult life of Samson that he's already violated the first of three prohibition, prohibitions of the Nazarite vow? Remember what the three prohibitions were? One, no fruit of the vine. Nothing from the vineyard. You cannot do that. His mother was not allowed to do it during the time that he was in her womb. Two, no unclean thing can be touched. No dead body can be touched. And three, you cannot do what? You cannot cut your hair, right? And what we're going to see throughout the life of Samson over these next couple chapters is that Samson, I believe, violates every single one. Could it be that he's already violated the first one in wandering off into the vineyards near Timnah? Well, the text doesn't say, but I think we're going to see here in the next episode later on in this chapter that he is going to violate it at the feast. That he does take fruit from the vine. Whatever the case is, while he's out in the vineyards, he comes across a lion. A lion comes across him and is ready to attack him and kill him. And um, Samson is attacked by this young lion. And yet, look at verse 6 says, "...the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily." This is the second time we've heard that phrase. 
first time was in chapter 13 and verse 25. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. We're going to see this several more times. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, gave him the administrative, the, the really the skill in battle to be able to fight this lion and to kill it with his bare hands. The text makes it clear that he does it without a weapon. So who was it that was working through him to protect him from this dangerous animal? It was the Holy Spirit of God working on him. And the manner of his kill points us to the fact that he violates a second Nazarite, second prohibition of the Nazarite vow. Notice how he does it. Verse 6, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Okay, so here he's tearing this animal from limb to limb. In order to do that, at some point the animal dies, right? And he's now touching the animal that's dead. Now, the fact that he doesn't tell his parents about this suggests to me that he knows what he's done is in violation of his Nazarite vow. Well, we're going to come back to this here in a second because he's going to take some honey from the body of this carcass of this lion as, he, as he's on the way back. But for now, let's look at verse 7 because we see that as the story continues, he went down and talked to the woman, this Philistine woman, and she looked good to Samson. That is, she, she looked right in his eyes. He probably is just at this time paying the, the, the bridal fee, the, the dowry, and then he's going to, usually the custom was to marry a year later. And so he returns home. And when he returns to marry her, verse 8, we skip ahead probably a year here. When he returned later to, to take her as his wife, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. Start to the look, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. And so he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it, but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. So the text here a couple of times points us to the fact that it's from the body of the lion. And I think the point is that he has touched a dead body. Now he's going to do it again here uh, at the end of the chapter, not just an animal, but actually human dead bodies. And so Samson is violating these prohibitions left and right. So this is probably the same lion that he had killed a year earlier. This time the, the carcass has, has dried out. All the meat's been taken out by various animals and so on. It's, it's been dried out. and That's the only place bees will swarm and, and form a, uh, a hive like this. And uh, Samson discovers it and he takes some from it and he gives it to the parents. And the text again uh, points out the fact that he did not tell his parents where he had gotten the honey from. If, if there were no problem with where he got the honey, why not tell his parents? But the text makes it clear that he did not tell them, and I think that's because he knew what he was doing was wrong. In verses 10 to 14, we come to the marriage feast. The marriage feast is a seven-day wedding feast that would take place uh, and then would be finalized with the consummation of the marriage between the husband and the wife. Well, during this feast, the, 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 um, the wedding party arrives, and because Samson doesn't have his own companions... Then he's given 30 companions. We see this um, here at the end of uh, verse 11. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So probably just part of the, the, uh, the wedding party. And so these are the ones, these are people from the Philistines. These are Philistine men. And these are the ones that he gives this riddle to, probably as a way of showing his wisdom to them. 
But what I want you to notice is in verse 10 that this is a week-long feast. Verse 10, Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there. For the young men customarily did this. What, what would people drink at a feast or a banquet, whether Jewish or otherwise? What would they drink? They'd drink lots of wine, wouldn't they? Over this period of time, one of the, the enjoyable things to do, for, especially for pagans, was to, to drink lots of wine. And with the Philistines in attendance, this is very well what was happening. And um, often it was for the purpose of actually getting drunk. In fact, whenever the word feast, like it's used there in verse 10, is, is used in the Old Testament, it almost always refers to a celebration that includes alcohol. That includes some kind of wine. Think of the, the feast or the banquets throughout the book of Esther. Remember, King Xerxes would just keep on, let's have another feast. You know, I can't decide what I'm going to do for this next uh, battle that we're going into, so let's have a feast. And they would drink wine and and then they would have women come before them and so on. And so that's probably what's happening here as well. That, that there is alcohol being drunk, and if Samson is, is in the feast, putting on the feast, why would he not also take a part of it? And the fact that the text even brings this up suggests that he violated another aspect of the Nazarite vow by drinking the wine himself. This is in the Philistine territory, and Samson doesn't have his own... Party, so the 30 companions are given to him, and these are the, the friends, so to speak, that he makes a wager with in verses 12 and 13. He gives them a riddle. And this is all about pride and greed. Samson thinks that he can outwit these 30 men who think they know something. And so he gives them a riddle. And this riddle is crafted from his recent encounter with the lion and the honey. Did you notice that? Notice the riddle there in verse 14. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. So what what am I talking about, Samson says. Out of the eater, we would think someone who eats, what comes out of someone who eats? Maybe we don't really want to say it, but, but vomit, right? That's what they're thinking. So if vomit would be coming out of something, how could it be something to eat? So out of the eater, something to eat, and out of the strong, something sweet. We wouldn't expect something out of a strong creature to be sweet. Well, after three days, they can't figure it out according to verse 14. And so they decide to do the ancient Near East equivalent of looking in the back of the book, which is to twist the Philistine woman's arm and get the answer from her. Let's find out what she can figure out because we can't figure this out on our own. We have to find the answer out through cheating. And so they they basically threaten Samson's wife. And so in verses 15 through 18, we see that Samson is betrayed. They threaten his wife. Notice how they threaten her in verse 15. It came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Isn't it amazing how quickly they are to betray one of their own in order just to maintain a level of of pride among uh, this foreigner, Samson. We're going to kill you and your family if you don't give us the answer. You have four days to get us the answer. Now, if Samson's wife would have told 
Samson about what, have hap- what had happened, what do you suppose Samson could have done? Did Samson have the ability? Did he have the Spirit of God on his side to be able to kill these Philistines? Did he have the power to be able to do so? Absolutely. But she thought that those 30 men were more powerful than Samson, her husband. Now, she's going to find out later. Well, we're going to find out later. Uh, she's actually going to be dead. But in chapter 15, that he is more powerful than a thousand Philistines. And she would have been better off telling him, Samson, about their threat than to keep it quiet and go through with this devious plan. But instead, she tricks Samson into giving her the answer. He, she tries to get it out of him for the first couple of days. And Samson says, listen, I haven't even told my parents. Which is amazing because he's been keeping a lot of things from his parents recently. Uh, but he says, I haven't even told my parents. In other words, the people who are closest to me I haven't told. Why would I tell you? But she wept and begged until the seventh day, and verse 17, he, she finally, uh, he finally gives in and tells her the answer. And so she passes it on to them, just in the nick of time, to avoid execution of herself and the family. And we see in verse 18 that the men answer the riddle with a riddle. So the answer to the riddle is honey and a lion. What comes out of the eater that is sweet? It's honey that's been in the carcass of a body. What is what it comes out that's sweet that comes out of something strong? It's a lion. It's a lion that has the the honey in it. So that's the answer to the riddle. But instead of just saying it in those terms, they answer it in the form of another riddle. Verse 18 at the end of the verse. What is sweeter than honey? This is their answer. And what is stronger than a lion? What is it? What's sweeter than honey and stronger than the lion? I think their point in this is love. Love is stronger than a lion and it's sweeter than honey. And the way that we could get that answer out of you is because you love this woman. And they were exactly right. They answered in the form of the riddle and Samson could do nothing but follow through on his end of the wager. Now, Samson cries foul here at the end of verse 18. He said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer... This is not a term of endearment or even a term of cruelty towards his wife. He was saying... Typically, you don't plow a field with a heifer. In other words, typically you don't answer a riddle by cheating, by using something that you're not supposed to use, but you did it anyway. used my heifer, my wife, to get the answer. So you cheated, but I'm going to take out my revenge. He doesn't tell them this, but I'm going to take out my revenge on your people. And that's what he does in verses 19 and 20. The Spirit of the Lord, again, we see this phrase, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, one of the five Philistine cities. The others are Ashdod, Gath, Gaza, and Ekron. You remember, Goliath was from Gath. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. He went down to Ashkelon, a Philistine city, and killed 30 of them, and took their spoil, gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle, and his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. While this whole episode might be embarrassing for Samson and his parents, God was working to kill some Philistines so that Israel would release its grip from these wicked people and their false gods. And so Samson gets up and says, I I lost the wager, so I need to get these 30 pieces of clothing, these 30 linen garments. And he takes out and kills 30 of these Ashkelon men so that he could pay the wager. 
In other words, Samson's basically saying, so you think you're going to trick me by, by taking, stealing the answer, by cheating in order to get the answer? Watch what I do in response. I'll give you what I said I would pay. And he takes out 30 of the men from Ashkelon in order to pay the debt. Now, in order for Samson to get the clothes off of these men whom he killed, they would first have to be dead. Again, a violation of the Nazarite vow. Do not touch an unclean thing. But Samson, in his pride and his desire to to take vengeance out on these Philistines, is willing to defy God and go against this Nazarite vow. Now, we have to admit that at times, Samson has the interest of Israel in mind. And at times, he has the interest of God in mind. Wanting to see the Philistines, destroy, the Philistines destroyed. But it seems to me that Samson's primary motivation in killing these 30 men is one of revenge. He wants to, he wants to vindicate his own name. And this pattern of personal vengeance is going to escalate when we look at chapter 15 next week. At one point in chapter 15, he says, this is it. This is my last time. This is my last act of revenge against the Philistines. But guess what? The Philistines come back and respond with vengeance of their own, and Samson is compelled to retaliate. He doesn't stop. In fact, he uses all of his life in a manner of personal vengeance against the Philistines. At the end of verse 19, we read that his anger burned and he went up to his father's house. His anger was legitimate in some way since he was cheated, but his response, I believe, was ungodly. There's no mention of him being angry over God's glory, that they were unconcerned about God. There's no mention of that. It seems to be all about Samson. In verse 20, the author gives us a quick side note that will be important for our understanding of chapter 15, and that is that Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. So before Samson could consummate the marriage at the end of the wedding feast, she was given over to a companion. Samson's going to desire her once again and come back to her and try to get her back. We'll see that next week in chapter 15. What are we to make of all this treachery and betrayal and covenant breaking? What can we say about a man who has little concern for the people around him? What what can we say about a, a man who has little concern for the things of God? Is Samson a lost cause? Are God's hands tied with regard to what can be done through such a man who seems to be all about himself. Look up at verse 4 again. However, so Samson saying, Get me this woman because she looks right in my eyes. Verse 4, However, his father and mother did not know that it, his desire for the Phil- to marry the Philistine woman, that it was of whom? It was of the Lord. For he, God, was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. And here's our point for tonight. This is the point of the whole chapter. God is always working behind the scenes to accomplish His purposes. God, understand this point, was at work in the marriage of Samson to a Philistine woman. God was seeking an opportunity to take out the Philistines. And Samson's desire for this pagan woman was the way in which God was going to do it. 
You see, there is something much bigger than Samson going on here and his own personal revenge. And that is that God is in hot pursuit of the people of Israel. The people of Israel are frantically driving off the cliff spiritually. And they're headed toward extinction as a nation because they're intermixing themselves with all the foreign nation, the pagan nations and the pagan gods. They were on the brink of distinction or extinction, excuse me, because they are thoughtlessly making alliances with the Philistines and slowly assimilating themselves with their with the the people, the pagans and their gods. And so what God is doing is he's on pursuit towards Israel trying to rescue them. And so what God is doing here in the bigger picture of the book of Judges and particularly the story of Samson is that God is working to cut the ties between Israel and the Philistines. And the reason for that is so that Israel will know that God alone is worthy to be worshipped. That the false gods of the Philistines are not worthy to be worshipped. In order for God to do that, He's going to have to kill some of those Philistines through a deliverer. Here's where Samson comes in. Wicked though he was at times. Now, we should not be surprised that God works behind the scenes to bring about good even through evil acts of men. God works behind the scenes to bring about His purposes even through the evil acts of men. We should not be surprised by that because He has been doing that since the time of the fall. And I'll just give you two examples, the two most prominent examples in all of the Bible Number one, the first example is in Genesis chapter 50. After Joseph's dad dies, Jacob, and his brothers come and say, he's going to kill us. Please, Jacob, or please, Joseph, don't kill us for what we've done. And Joseph replies in this way, you meant it for evil. You sending me off and being a slave in Egypt, you meant that for evil. But what? God meant it for evil. Good. What's God doing there? He's working through the evil acts of Joseph's brothers to bring about something good for the people of Israel. To bring about something good for Joseph. God is always working behind the scenes to bring about His purposes even through the evil acts of men. God knew exactly what was going on when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Did He not? He knew exactly what was going on. God used that situation to bring about great deliverance to the nation of Israel during a time that was a a great famine that came on the earth. Right? And that could only happen through the person of Joseph. God knew exactly what He was doing. Joseph understood that later on in life. I'm sure when he first got abandoned, he did not understand what God was doing. But see, God was working behind the scenes to accomplish His purposes, even through the evil acts of men. There's the first example. The second, you should think of this one immediately. And it's found in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. It tells us that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the soldiers and the Jews, they put Jesus on the cross, but they only did what God had predetermined to do. Isaiah chapter 53 
Verse 10 says that God was pleased to crush him. God used the evil acts of the Romans and the Jews to accomplish the death of Jesus Christ, which God desired, which God planned, which God needed in order for the salvation of men. What was God doing behind the scenes? It looked like the world was out of control. Here comes the Redeemer. He's come. He's even come riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, just as was prophesied in Zechariah. But, but now, He's being crucified. Has God lost? Has God lost control? And we all know the rest of the story. We know that God was working behind the scenes to accomplish His purposes to bring about the death of, the, of Jesus Christ which brought about our life. So when we read a story like this of Samson, we see such defiant actions by a man who's supposed to be a deliverer of God. We, we should not be surprised that God is working behind the scenes. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he could kill that lion. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he could kill those Philistines. Because God's accomplishing something bigger than Samson. It is to cut the ties between Israel and the Philistines. So that means that no matter what's happening right now in this world, whatever kind of evil acts that are happening in your life, that are being done to you, could it be that God is working behind the scenes to accomplish exactly what He wants to do? Could it be? The Bible tells us it tells us it has to be because God is in control of everything. God is always working to accomplish what He wants. Samson was impulsive. He was self-absorbed. He was a vengeful man who often would defy God and he would defy his parents. And so what can we say about him? Can God use someone like Samson who is fundamentally flawed? The truth is that if God were waiting around for one of us to be a perfect servant, he'd be waiting a long time, wouldn't he? Because all of us are born as sinners, and even after we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're still plagued with sin, aren't we? I'm still plagued with sin. You're still plagued with sin. And so the truth is, God always uses flawed people. And while we might think that we are so much better than Samson, is it possible that God works through us in spite of us rather than because of us? Could it be that God accomplishes great things in spite of the foolish and evil things that we do instead of because of the, the, the great things that we do? You see, God is not obligated to use us but somehow, in His mercy, He is willing to use us. And that is an amazing fact in and of itself, that God would be willing to use a flawed person like you and me. In this story, we see that while Samson doesn't seem to have God's desires in mind, God is constantly working out all of the circumstances according to His own purposes. Amazing. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at Your mercy because we look at our own lives and see the, the significant flaws. We know ourselves. 
Sometimes we're deceived about our own sins, but then our sin comes to the surface and it's very clearly revealed in the way that we talk and the way that we act toward other people. It makes us very clear who who we have at, at our central desire at times. Now certainly we do many things according to what you desire and we seek your will, but we have to admit that there are many times in our lives when we are seeking our own our own desires we are self-absorbed and maybe vengeful and and very much like Samson in many cases quick to defy you quick to defy the leaders in our lives and and yet you still use us we're amazed by the fact that you use us in spite of us and that you don't wait around until we are perfectly mature you don't wait around until we are perfectly sinless there's only one who was perfectly sinless and and you certainly used him and we want to be used of you Lord we don't want to give excuses for our sin and we don't want to become laissez-faire passive in our approach to our Christian lives and say well since you're going to control it all it doesn't matter how I live we certainly don't want to do that we don't want to go on sinning so that grace will abound but instead we want to acknowledge that you often use us despite our own sin and flaws. Lord, help us to grow in Your grace. Help us to be useful for Your purposes. Help us to be useful in this church, in our family, to the Christians around us, to unbelievers as we seek to reach them with the Gospel. Lord, use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.